Sunday blessings to all of you as we commence a new week by celebrating the Paschal mystery of Jesus Christ. Through the gifts of the Holy Spirit, may each of us graciously respond to Jesus' invitation to live more deeply his passion, death, and glorious resurrection and ascension, and thus be drawn into loving communion with God our Father. You are listening to Encountering Jesus with the Church Fathers, a podcast pondering patristic commentary and insight on the sacred scriptures, the sacred liturgy, and living as a disciple of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Father Mark, and I welcome you to this podcast on the 15th Sunday in Ordinary Time. Guiding us this Sunday in opening the Word of God is one of Christianity's greatest theologians, Origen of Alexandria, or as some scholars prefer, Origen of Caesarea. But before highlighting some aspects of his life, permit me a brief word concerning our approach to the sacred scriptures prompted by today's gospel proclamation, popularly known as the parable of the Good Samaritan. Of all Jesus' parables, the Good Samaritan certainly is well known among Christians and non-Christians alike. On one hand, such familiarity is good. Knowing well Jesus' teaching about compassion towards anyone in need is a vital lesson in any age of human and Christian living. Yet, familiarity can dull or numb us to the stinging challenges of the parable. Uh, In the case of today's proclamation, there might be a tendency that once I know, oh, this is the parable of the Good Samaritan, and it's all about teaching the need to be kind to one another, I got its message figured out, and then I can move on to other distracted thoughts. Parables, by their very nature, are multifaceted. One can rightly view this parable from the perspective of the Good Samaritan, as well as the person who fell among the robbers, or the robbers themselves, or even the innkeeper. Well, Jesus employs examples from day-to-day living in, in his time, how he uses these examples stirs the interest of listeners and hooks us with the grace of God into actively considering and reflecting how to live more fully the reality of the kingdom of God as a conscious disciple. Consequently, while the insights we have concerning a particular parable are good and helpful, we also need to realize that additional insights do await us. To help with this, the homilies and writings of the fathers of the church 
are an indispensable resource to discover prayerfully Jesus' way of living contained in his sacred word. And one of the earliest and most noted exegetes of Scripture is the famed head of the catechetical school at Alexandria, Origen. Technically, Origen is not a father of the church, nor a doctor of the church, nor a canonized saint. And as I've been known to say on occasion, not a canonized saint yet. A number contend that a cloud of suspicion looms over his theology. But others maintain that Origen's theology was read in light of theological development hundreds of years after he died. I argue that if Christianity had a fully developed magisterium, as we now know it in Origen's day, and that magisterium judged Origen's theology to be heretical, Origen would have immediately accepted that judgment, corrected his errors, and even sought a penitential regimen to atone for any misdirection. For all that Origen has left posterity, especially Christian posterity, we do well to read him in the context of his day and offer gratitude for his pioneering work in the areas of sacred scripture and catechesis, to name only two facets of ecclesial living. Origen himself was born in the city of Alexandria, Egypt, around the year 185. He was the oldest of six children, growing up in an exceptionally devout Christian household. His father was arrested and martyred for the faith in the year 2001, not long after the 16-year-old Origen wrote a letter to his father, encouraging him to embrace the grace of martyrdom. The letter also gives us great insight into the depths of Origen's spiritual life that would only continue to mature throughout the years. After his father's martyrdom, Arjun accepted a position at the catechetical school in Alexandria to help support his mother and siblings. He was originally entrusted with the catechetical formation of the catechumens, but as an avid student himself, especially of Neoplatonic philosophy, Arjun soon found himself teaching a vast array of courses. There was no area of human inquiry that Origen did not master. Yet, his passion was theology, especially the sacred scriptures. As a result, he focused on matters theological and engaged others to teach the various academic disciplines. Origen's fame and reputation grew throughout the world, and he traveled extensively. Many appreciated his theological insights, 
but a significant number did not take well to his allegoric approach to Scripture, including the Bishop of Alexandria, which resulted in Origen leaving his hometown and taking up residence in the Holy Land. The bishops of Jerusalem and Caesarea warmly welcomed him, ordained him a priest, and the biblical cities became Origen's home for approximately the last 20 years of his life. When persecutions erupted um, under Emperor Dacius around the year 248-249, Origen was arrested, imprisoned, and severely tortured. Some scholars note that Dacius ordered that Origen was to undergo a cycle of torture and rehabilitation, but was not to be executed. Dacius wanted Origen to recant his faith in Jesus Christ, a wish that never came true for Dacius. In the repeated tortures Origen experienced, Origen remained as strong as a diamond and even earned for him the Greek title Adamantus, that is, Diamond Man or Man of Steel. When Dacius died and the persecutions ended, Origen was freed, but died approximately six months later due to complications from years of severe torture. Arjun was a prolific writer, and many of his writings are easily accessible. This Sunday, we are blessed to be able to listen to an excerpt from his homily 34 on the Gospel according to St. Luke, chapter 10. While in the law there are many precepts, in the gospel the Savior laid down only two. By a kind of shortcut, they lead those who obey them to eternal life. In this regard, the teacher of the law had questioned Jesus and said, Master, what shall I do to possess eternal life? This passage from the Gospel according to Luke was read to you today. Jesus responded to this as follows. What is written in the law? How do you read it? The teacher replied, You shall love the Lord your God with your whole heart and with your whole soul, with all your strength, with your whole mind, and your neighbor as yourself. Then Jesus said, You have answered well. Do this and you shall live. Without any doubt, it is eternal life about which the teacher of the law had questioned Jesus and with which the Savior's words dealt. At the same time, a precept in the law clearly teaches us to love God. 
In Deuteronomy, the law says, Israel, the Lord your God, is one God, and you shall love the Lord your God with your whole mind, and so forth, and your neighbor as yourself. The Savior bore witness about these commands and said, On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. But the teacher of the law wanted to justify himself and show that no one was a neighbor to him. He said, Who is my neighbor? The Lord adduced a parable, which begins, A certain man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and so on. And he teaches that the man going down was the neighbor of no one except of him who willed to keep the commandments and prepare himself to be a neighbor to everyone who needs help. For this is what is found after the parable at its end. Which of these three does it seem to you is the neighbor of the man who fell among robbers? Neither the priest nor the Levite was neighbor, but, as the teacher of the law himself answered, he who showed pity was his neighbor. Hence the Savior says, Go and do likewise. One of the elders wanted to interpret the parable as follows. The man who is going down is Adam. Jerusalem is paradise, and Jericho is the world. The robbers are hostile powers. The priest is the law, the Levite is the prophets, and the Samaritan is Christ. The wounds are disobedience. The beast is the Lord's body. The inn, which accepts all who wish to enter, is the church. And further, the two denarii mean the father and the son. The manager of the stable is the head of the church to whom its care has been entrusted. And the fact that the Samaritan promises he will return represents the Savior's second coming. All of this has been said reasonably and beautifully. But we should not think that it applies to every man. For not every man goes down from Jerusalem to Jericho nor do all dwell in this present world for that reason, even if he who was sent on account of the lost sheep of the house of Israel went down. Hence, the man who went down from Jerusalem to Jericho fell among robbers because he himself wished to go down. But the robbers are none other than they of whom the Savior says, All who came before me 
were thieves and robbers. But still, he does not fall among thieves, but among robbers, who are far worse than thieves. He fell among them when he was going down from Jerusalem. They robbed him, and they inflicted blows on him. What are the blows? What are the wounds that have wounded a man? They are vices and sins. Then the robbers, who had stripped and wounded him, do not help the naked man, but they strike him again with blows and leave him alone. Hence, Scripture says, They robbed him and inflicted wounds on him, and they went away and left him, not dead, but half dead. But it happened that first a priest, then a Levite, were going down on the same road. Perhaps they had done some good to other men, but not to this man who had gone down from Jerusalem to Jericho. For the priest saw him, I think this means the law, and the Levite saw him. This is, in my view, the prophetic word. When they had seen him, they passed by and left him. Providence was saving the half-dead man for him who was stronger than the law and the prophets, namely, for the Samaritan. The name means guardian. He is the one who neither grows drowsy nor sleeps as he guards Israel. For on account of the half-dead man, the Samaritan set out, not from Jerusalem into Jericho, like the priest and the Levite who went down. Or, if he did go down, he went down to rescue and care for the dying man. The Jews had said to him, You are a Samaritan, and you have a demon. Though he denied having a demon, he was unwilling to deny that he was a Samaritan, for he knew that he was a guardian. So when he had come to the half-dead man and seen him rolling about in his own blood, he had pity on him. He drew near to him in order to become his neighbor. He bound his wounds, poured in oil mixed with wine, and did not say what the prophet records. There is no poultice to put on, neither oil nor bandages. The Samaritan is that man whose care and help all who are badly off need. The man who was going down from Jerusalem and fell among thieves who was wounded and left by them half alive, needed the help of this Samaritan most of all.
you should know that according to God's providence, this Samaritan was going down to care for the man who had fallen among thieves. You learn that clearly from the fact he had bandages, oil, and wine with him. I do not think that the Samaritan carried these things with him only on behalf of that one half-dead man, but also on behalf of others who for various reasons had been wounded and needed bandages, oil, and the wine. He had oil. Scripture says of it, to gladden one's face with oil. Without doubt, it means the face of him who was healed. He cleans the wounds with oil to reduce the swelling of the wounds, but also with wine, adding in something that stings. And the man who had been wounded, he placed on his own beast, that is, on his own body, since he deigned to assume a man. This Samaritan bears our sins and grieves for us. He carries the half-dead man and brings him to the inn, that is, the church, which accepts everyone and denies its help to no one. Jesus calls everyone to the church when he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are burdened, and I will refresh you. After he has brought him in, he does not depart immediately. He remains for a day at the inn with the half-dead man, he cares for his wounds, not only during the day, but also at night. He devotes all his attention and activity to him. And when he wants to set out in the morning, he takes two denarii from his tested silver, from his tested money, and pays the innkeeper. Without a doubt, the innkeeper was the angel of the church, whom the Samaritan bade to care for the man diligently and bring him back to health. For a short time, he himself cared for the man. Two denarii appeared to me to be knowledge of the Father and the Son, an understanding of how the Father is in the Son and the Son is in the Father. An angel is given this knowledge as if it were a payment. He is to care diligently for the man entrusted to him. The promise is made to him that whatever of his own money he spends on healing the half-dead man will be repaid directly to him. The Samaritan who took pity on the man who had fallen among thieves, is truly a guardian and a closer neighbor than the law and the prophets. 
he showed that he was the man's neighbor more by deed than by word. According to the passage that says, Be imitators of me, as I too am of Christ. It is possible for us to imitate Christ and to pity those who have fallen among thieves. We can go to them, bind their wounds, pour in oil and wine, put them on our own beasts, and bear their burdens. The Son of God encourages us to do things like this. He is speaking not so much to the teacher of the law as to us and to all men when he says, Go and do likewise. If we do, we shall obtain eternal life in Christ Jesus, to whom is glory and power for ages of ages. Amen. Let us pray. O God, who show the light of your truth to those who go astray, so that they may return to the right path, give all for the faith they profess are accounted Christians, the grace to reject whatever is contrary to the name of Christ, and to strive after all that does it honor. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God, forever and ever. Amen. The Lord be with you. May Almighty God bless you all, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go in peace.